Are you a teacher still struggling with the challenges of connecting with your students? Still trying to figure out what is that perfect Rubik's Cube of alignment that's going to allow you to not only convey the information, allow them to understand it and implement it, but create a higher connection and a rich relationship with your students. Well, if that's something you're interested in, this is the episode for you. I'm Kareem. And I'm Kim. And together we have over 30 plus years in the fields of mental health, neurowellness, and peak performance coaching. We're here to give you the tools and principles to help you unlock deeper levels of energy, focus, and spirituality so that you can live with more purpose, passion, and intention. Creating lasting success from the inside out to grow, to serve, and impact the world. Welcome to the Unlock Your Neuro Renegade podcast. Welcome to the second episode of the Unlock Your Neuro Renegade podcast. I'm Kareem. And I'm Kim. Bam! And we are really going to dive into... Again, going into that next level, that next layer of really understanding what is that relationship between a teacher and a student? How can we improve upon that? You know, we're reaching probably a month in or so into this semester, and we still are noticing that teachers are having those challenges, frustrating in situations where the students are just not connecting. Um, I don't know. There's still, I don't know if it's a summer lag or (laughs) still got the, you know, pandemic issues where they're coming into the classroom, still not being able to settle in, digest the information and be able to move forward. And that struggle is very real for many teachers, even at this point. And even frustrations mounting, we can see burnout always kicking in. That's what I was going to say. I was just talking with a client at their session last week, and that was the exact uh, thought was three weeks into the semester. And I am exhausted, questioning whether he was even needing to continue at the school in this position because three weeks in, he's already feeling the same way he did at the end of May. Like that summer reset came in with guns blazing, all of the positive emotion in the world. And three weeks in, it just has all (laughs) petered out and the exhaustion and questioning and all of those things are already here three weeks into the school year. Yes. Well, I think one of the biggest challenges I know that teachers are facing right now is in the training, in the education. I mean, let's think back. Most of the training that's being done today, that was done in all the years, all the time, all the sweat equity you put into preparing yourself to be a teacher has been focused on the pedagogy, has been focused on the learning styles. How can I get this information into the hands of the children? How do I deliver it in a structured fashion? But when the focus is on the information and not necessarily on understanding the student, then that's where you're going to reach that disconnect. That's when the lesson plans are going to be just like everyone else's. And when that starts to happen even more so, that's when your frustration starts to kick in because the inability to be able to connect on a deeper level is causing the inability to be able to have the information absorbed in a way that's not only from a learning cognitive capacity, but really diving into those other areas of what the brain actually does. And I think that's another challenge that teachers are having in their understanding of what the learning process is. That There's more to the learning process than just the cognitive absorption of information. Absolutely. And I think that's by no fault of any teacher out there. You're not trained in it, right? It's things that maybe if you're in the therapeutic world of, you know, cognitive behavioral science or psychology, you get more of that kind of information. But in the world of teaching, you don't really dive into it. And if it were true that that perfect lesson plan 
existed. And that's all it was about was having the perfectly crafted curriculum, then we would be able to have a universal curriculum that effectively taught every subject and topic out there applied across this country and everybody would be in the same boat. But we all know that's not the case because there is that unique factor that underlines all of it in how the brain and nervous system are wired to work and take in information. And it's not common knowledge, right? It's not something that's taught. You don't catch that in undergrad. You don't catch that in grad school. Maybe if you look into a really good professional development course, you may be able to hunt down and find some, but that's still the time you have to invest, the effort, the resources, et cetera. And you have to be taking the reins of that and really go pursuing it because it's not readily available and offered. But it is the one piece that will completely differentiate you from every other educator teaching right. eighth grade math on planet earth yes. kind of thing. And here's the powerful thing. Look, we want you to be the educators you always wanted to be. That was life-changing educators. And what does that mean? You know, we were um, talking to um, an associate of ours who is an educator, uh, Christine Marsilio, uh, vice president. She held a, vice, a principal position uh, at a local high school uh, where we live at. Um, she also deals directly with kids with special needs. And one of the biggest challenges she said moving into the new school year was, hey, we were not trained in these areas of having to be not only the teacher, but we're talking being the therapist, the psychologist, sometimes being a secondary parent position, um, uh, the, the social worker, dealing with so many issues that are more than just the information. You're dealing with behavioral uh, you're dealing with social aspects, life, lack of those social skills and being able to connect is such a challenge because of the training and preparation for your role as a teacher has now put that many more expectations on you and it becomes overwhelming. So what we wanted to do is moving into that second element of what we call the Terra principle, dealing with and understanding the brain. Last week, we strove tribe. and talked about the tribe, right? Getting the tribiness of it. What is tribe? A sense of belonging. When that student knows it's not a level of, of higher ranking or lower ranking, but the sense of belonging is, is so important to letting them know, hey, I'm in this fight with you. Like we're here together. This is a cohesive synergistic experience. Well, you as the teacher and they as the student are having an opportunity to both be looking towards a connection and understanding the material, but more than that, becoming better people. Again, I'm piggybacking off of that poem that I read last week when uh, written by a teacher. And they said, uh, again, they said, my career may be as a teacher, but my profession is humanity. So it's the human being behind that. So moving into that, that, that second uh, level that we're going to break down today now, again, we don't want to overwhelm you with a whole bunch. We want to give you in step and in pieces, bite-sized morsels of information because we realize that if you can take just this one element that we're going to talk about today, it's going to change the way not only you see teaching, not only you see the way you see connecting with your students, but we're talking about in your personal life as well, how to connect with your loved ones, your spouse, your partner, your kids, your friends, the relationships outside of the classroom that are going to have an impact and influence on how you develop those relationships and how you impact those relationships moving forward. And we're going to talk about that right now. And that area is going to hit expectation. Boom. 
Now, if you can break that down for them. So we've got tribe expectation from a, from a brain and nervous system point of view, foundationally, what does that mean? And why is that important? Well, we let's take the step back and kind of look again at the sole purpose of your brain and nervous system. I don't know why we say brain and nervous system because the brain is part of your nervous system. It's not its own separate entity. It oh, is, Oh, <laughs> it's connected. It is part of your central nervous system. It's not its own separate thing. You can't, function with your brain without your whole nervous system. So your nervous system's job is really mainly one thing and it's called keep you alive. And if we approach any part of requesting that brain to work without first taking into consideration, does it feel safe? Is everything perceived as good? Then we're missing a huge part that will either make or break your ability to connect and get the response that you want. Um, so when we look at that, the brain's job is to keep you alive. Then we have to provide the parameters that let it feel safe and not just physically safe. It has to perceive safety. And these letters of the terror principle are those key components that allow that nervous system to feel, perceive safety. And that's really the biggest piece of expectation is giving your brain a marker. It likes familiarity. It likes to know what's coming. It doesn't like to be surprised or caught off guard because if your job is to keep us alive, we are wired to be constantly scanning our environment for danger. It's a function of your nervous system, part of your nervous system called interoception. That is, we're scanning the environment. Is there any danger? And the moment that something unfamiliar or unexpected pops up, it goes, oop, danger, Will Robinson, we got a problem here. And it's not very good at deciphering between, is this a life-threatening danger or is this an inconvenience that I need to adapt to? It reacts to both pretty similarly as far as what happens internally and flips you, flips that switch over into fight or flight, stress response kind of thing. A little part in your brain called the amygdala. It's your soldier. So when we're scanning, we see a danger, we see something unexpected, it tells that amygdala to turn on and you go into full on warrior, soldier, superhero brain mode. And at that moment, it cuts out everything that isn't necessary and goes to what are the core functions that I need to survive? Starts to regulate heart rate and blood pressure, breathing rate, body temperature, the things that you need to maintain life or what your energy and focus of your nervous system are going to. So with that in mind, like you want to ask uh, anybody, any human being on earth to think, to use their cognition and think, but you flip that switch and the amygdala is saying, no, no, we're in fight mode. This is soldier time. And we are on the defense. You can't do it. It's literally like there is a, a circuitry and the circuit breaker flips to stop information from getting into that thinking part of the brain. So you can try as you as much as you want. You can pull out all the teaching tricks, all the teaching styles. I've got an auditory component. I've got a visual. I'm for the kinesthetic learner. I've got something for them. To, all of that is just more information for their nervous system to say no thank you to. And you're going to exhaust yourself and you're not going to be able to get through because that is how the brain and nervous system are designed. That's what they're supposed to do. They're doing their job really well. 
And you can't fight against that. <laughs> that right. is our literal survival mechanism. So you can be the best teacher on planet earth. You're not getting through that piece. That's how important these concepts of Terra are to your success as a teacher. You take these things into consideration and you get those walls to come down. Then all of those skills that you have spent years, decades even honing become really, really, really valuable. And you see that impact and transformation happen. Awesome. Awesome. So that question remains then. There's the big question. How do we create an environment that's safe? That tells the brain, hey, this is an environment that's safe for you to what? Learn, absorb the information. But before the information starts, the environment itself, you have set things in a position to where when that student walks into that classroom and sits down and looks at you and you begin to speak and create the environment with your words and your emotion and your passion and your intention, that's when is established on an unconscious level, hey, this is an environment that's safe for me to what? Drop the walls and start to what? Absorb what you are pouring into them. So that big principle that we wanted to talk about, using expectation, we use something that is called positive expectation framing. Now, what is that? The basic premise behind it is, as she was saying, because we're neurologically aligning how we use the understanding of the brain to open up the pathways for you as teachers to connect with the students, not only from an informational point of view or an educational point of view, but from a personal point of view. What it means when you frame the day, when you frame the expectation, when they know what is expected of them in terms of what they're going to learn first from the cognitive point of view, what is the lesson plan? By the end of this hour, by the end of this week, this is the path that we're taking. And by the end of this path, this is where I would like to see us arrive at. So now you've given the brain what? A target. The brain knows where it's going and where it's headed. And then what you provided with that framing is the why behind it. Again, kids coming into school, right? They're coming from this post-pandemic. We got monkeypox. We got all these things going on. We got identity and gender and trying to figure out where they are. They're in their adolescence, trying to figure out life, all of these things, right? So if you're establishing the why, why am I learning this? Why is this important? Again, telling the brain, because from a book that, um, that I've been studying for a long time by a neuroscientist by the name of Bo Lotto, he said, the brain is constantly scanning, like my wife was talking about, for what is useful, what has utility? What has value? Again, to keep me alive, to survive, right? Those fundamental needs. So if you are not taking the information and creating the expectation of value to what you are teaching them and making it relatable to that student, then guess what? All you're going to be doing is pouring into a closed lid jar. And it's going to be spilling everywhere. And you're going to be wondering, why is my students connecting? Because you haven't bridged the gap from a brain and cognitive point of view and also from a personal relatable point of view of finding utility in the information. Right. And I think kind of the umbrella principle here that we talk about a lot in any kind of communication, in the classroom, in life, anywhere where you need to convey information to another human being, this positive expectation framework is immensely important. And it essentially boils down to Tell them what you're going to talk to them about and then talk to them about it. Teach it and then review it. And it's in that teaching, in that once you've set the target and you dive into actually revealing the information, sharing with them the teaching aspects, that there's a second layer of 
neurological importance to, to consider. And that is really that we are a multi-tiered individuals neurologically. Yes, cognition is there. That's important, right? That's learning all of your executive functions, your memory, your problem solving, all of that. Very important. But guess what? That accounts for like 10% of your brain and nervous system's function. Like we're talking about with that, the brain having that purpose of keeping us alive, depending on what research you look at, anywhere from 80 to 92% of your neurological function is geared towards movement and emotion. Mm -hmm. And if you can't connect on a level other than just the informational cognitive pieces, you're missing the majority of the human experience that really allows connection and absorption. Absolutely. I mean, when we're talking about the brain and you talk about how does the brain learn, right? How does human beings learn? I'm doing a lot of research on that. The human being's brain absorbs more than just like my wife was talking about on the cognitive level. Most things are absorbed, like she said, experientially, behaviorally, through movement and action and the kinesthetic experience of it. But also even more profoundly than that is the emotional component. Children, even in the developmental stages, they're not learning cognitively that much what they're learning emotionally, what to do and what not to do. Hey, don't touch that. That's hot. How do I feel about the information? When you talk to your kid, is he understanding the word stop or the way you said stop? They're hearing the intensity behind it going, oh, I feel right emotionally that this is something that I need to pay attention to. Right. So a lot of the learning that happens in the beginning developmental stages, even from 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 children and going into the teens and the kids that you're working with is from that emotional standpoint. And if there isn't that emotional relationship in context and framing like we're talking about to the material, then there's that disconnect. But when you align those things, when you say, hey, this is the information, this is why it's important and create that emotional relevance to that information, that's when it starts to come alive. Not only from an informational standpoint, the transference of information, but also the transference of emotional connection between you and your student. And that's a powerful thing. And, you know, I wanted to get into an example of that. And from my personal experience uh, in my, my fifth and sixth grade year, I had a teacher named Mr. Idris, uh, amazing guy. I was at this private school. And what he talked about, one of the first things, he said, I want you to be able to think for yourself. And in so doing so, I want you to pay attention to the things that you allow into your brain. Right. He framed it. He gave us the framing. He gave us something to shoot for, not only from a what? a lesson plan point of view, but a potentiality for us to see where we can be in the future. Ability to be able to think for ourselves. That's something we'd want, we'd desire. We relate to that. And he said, hey, name your favorite TV show. And at the time there was a show, um, some of y'all might be familiar with it. I'm a little older guy, but y'all might be familiar. It was called Good Times. JJ, what's happening? <laughs> um, so he said, okay, great. What's the theme song? What's, what's, what, what is it? And we started to sing it, you know, good times, anytime, any, any. and we're going through it and we're singing it so happily. And he's like, huh, okay, well, let's write the words and lyrics to this song on the board. And he begins to write it as we're singing. So we started to just speak the words. And we said, I'm not getting hassled, keeping your head above water, making it any way that you can. Temporary layoffs, 
good times. Easy credit ripoffs, good times. Scratching and surviving, good times. Hanging and ajiving, good times. <laughs> Ain't we lucky we got them, good times. And we're sitting there and I'm staring at this board, looking at these words and I'm like, oh my God, scratching and surviving? That ain't good times. Easy credit ripoffs. That ain't good times. <laughs> Losing your job, unemployment. That ain't good times. Hanging in a job and wasting time. Those are not good times. And it just blew my mind. Here I was, you know, 12 years old, 12 or 13 years old, sitting in this class. I am 48 now. And I listened to that and it's still etched in my mind. Wow. What I allowed into my brain, what I thought was just something nice and sweet and fun was actually something destructive to my mind and destructive to my future. And I didn't recognize that. But he took something that was relevant to me, a favorite television show that we all knew and liked. And then he related it to the lesson plan. And then he attached it to a desired outcome that is what we would want in the future. And what he wanted for us to be able to think for ourselves, to be able to pay attention to the information that was coming in and use the viable example that made us feel what? Connected to the information. We made us feel valuable as human beings, right? And then he created an environment of safety because he actually was interested in what we were interested in. So he used it in a very powerful way to be able to connect with us from the information, a transference of information, knowledge and understanding, but also a transference of emotional connection. And to this day, I respect him so much and see him as a powerful leader and influence in my life. Absolutely. I think we've all had those those people that connect on a very emotional level for us that maybe we can't even put words to specifically. I mean, I know similarly, I, in, no offense, Mr. James, if you hear this, but social studies was never something I was particularly interested in. Yet, if you asked me to look back at what my favorite class was in high school, I would say it was social studies. It was American history. It was all of the classes that Mr. James taught. They were in those arenas because of the connection that I had with him as a teacher, because everything was related back to certain character principles and mm -hmm. things that he knew, you know, through athletics and, you know, interacting with him as a coach, he knew the things that were important to our future that we held as valuable. And when we translated to the classroom, he took all of that, all of that information he knew about us and what was valuable to us and applied it in that classroom setting. So you can take a, a subject that maybe a kid is not even incredibly passionate about the actual information, but you can still connect. You can still engage. You can still get that buy-in yeah. from them if you're applying these principles of this positive expectation framework where you're giving them that target and then tapping in neurologically at levels other than just cognition, not making it just a cerebral process and um, taking them along on that journey of expected markers and targets that can be hit and reinforced all along the way. Yes. And it's, it's awesome to be able to convey this information because again, I mean, like we've talked about before and a lot of teachers have echoed that, hey, we weren't prepared this way to deal with the challenges that we're having to deal with as teachers. And we're having to put on our shoulders so many other additional responsibilities and we understand that. But the reality is those things aren't going away. 
those aren't going to disappear. They're not going to be leveraged out and outsourced to anyone else. I mean, the parents today are dealing with their own challenges, trying to survive, trying to deal with the, 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 the circumstances economically, socially. There's so many things that they're dealing with personally, so they're already tapped out. I mean, my wife was talking about all of us as human beings are wired the same way. 90% of our energy and our threshold, our focus is put on unconsciously to keep us alive. So we're working with this, this, this 10%, if that to try to take in new information, absorb it, and then implement it, you're asking a lot. You're asking a lot from your brain. You're asking a lot from your own emotional thresholds to be able to not only take on that information, but then you as teachers take on so much responsibility. So we want to simplify that for you. We want to give you these elements, these philosophies, these strategies, this positive expectation framework in this particular case that's going to help you. So that first Element, giving it a target, right? Making that target relevant and having utility to be able to address the cognitive, the thinking aspect, right? And using that example from, from Mr. Idris, looking at it, looking at and assessing it. And that was the ability to discern and using those reasoning skills. So that's the cognitive element. Now, the second step is the experiential. The experiential component. Now, my wife can dive into why is this so important to understand that the learning process can't just be a cognitive transference of information. It can't just be having the framing of knowing the expectation, but it also has to have in terms of how the brain works, how the brain actually learns is the experiential component. We've talked in the last episode and we'll reiterate probably every time we open our mouths is the idea that your nervous system in its entirety needs to be involved in everything you do for you to actually be successful. And that goes all the way out to your nerve endings, mm. the sight, sound, taste, touch, smell, all of your senses, all of those components are what gets information in to your brain. And when all of that information is coming in, it's really powerful messages to your brain. If you're relying just on words and cognitive thinking, right? I'm just, I'm hearing words and I'm asking my thinking brain to absorb this. You're using such a minuscule amount of your capabilities. You're going to get minimum expectations met. But when you utilize all of those sensory components, you give a full experience to a subject matter, then you're recruiting on a much deeper level. Research has shown that when something is learned through play, right, where it is that full body sensory experience kind of thing, subject matters, tasks, new skills can be mastered in as, much, as, as little as seven or eight exposures. When you're trying to just think your way into learning a new skill, it can take upwards of 400 exposures to capture those same skills. That's the, the differentiation there between how much of that power of your brain and nervous system is being harnessed. So when you don't take into account the experience of this information and you're just trying to keep it to the letters on the page, the words from your mouth, then you're really chopping your own self at the knees because you're only recruiting such a minimal component. Not to mention if anything in that environment of that experience, again, triggers that interoception danger piece, right. then you can try as much as you want. You're not even getting to that minimal piece because you're going to get 
the cutout, like Kareem was saying before, the closed jar. That's literally what happens at that information processing level. You screw the lid on whenever that danger piece is sensed. So right. if you don't try to provide the experience and you trigger the danger component, you're closing the lid and there is no access. Right. It cuts out chemically. Your body produces chemicals mm -hmm. and releases them to say no more mm -hmm. information in. So to ignore the experiential component and the power that it has is mm -hmm. to essentially ignore the majority of the human sitting across from you right. that you're trying to connect information with. And I think what's really important when you're talking about this step and we're discussing experiential element, that experience is so important in trying to not only grab the attention of that student, but then take that attention and make it valuable to them. But then given that visceral experience, that tactile experience that goes way beyond just kinesthetic, because when you have that transference that appeals to all the senses, then it's going to make that imprint, that impact, almost like a tattoo, not only their brain, but their nervous system, their body, that's going to let them know, wait a minute, I'm going to remember this. Wait a minute, this is valuable to me. This is relevant to me. And I can use this in the real world and then impact change in my own life. It's going to have an influence on my day to day. So I've got to go back to the example of my teacher, Mr. Idris. Now, he did talk about, like I said, being able to think for yourself. He broke down the theme song to good times and made me feel like an idiot. <laughs> go, wow. That's why I was singing every single Thursday or whatever it came on, happily singing <laughs> along with it, scratching and surviving is good times, broke easy credit ripoffs, unemployment. Oh, my gosh. So he took us to that level of thinking. Right. But then the next was the experiential. And what he talked about was, he said, I want you to understand what it means to run your own business, to be an entrepreneur. Now, we're talking about the 80s, and that wasn't a, 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 an old time concept. That was brand new. He was definitely ahead of, its, ahead of his time. And we got MLMs now. People are jumping out and, and making their own businesses, building their own businesses, cultivating their own businesses. This was way before the tech boom and all of that. This was early on and he had us thinking, wait a minute, I want you to be able to be self-sufficient. I want you to understand what is economy, what is sales and marketing products and services, bringing them to the public, bringing them to the marketplace. And that was a powerful thing. So he said, great. But he took it another step. He said, OK, what kind of business would you like to start? I'm like what? What do you mean? What kind of business? He said, yeah, what kind of business do you like to start? Now, that prior summer, um, I had worked for another person in the community who had um, a cookie business. So I'd be there and putting the dough in and, and, and you know, and cooking them and wrapping them and, putting, and doing all those kind of things. So I was like, hey, why don't we do something like cookies? And he said, OK, cool. Now, how, how, how easy is it to create a cookie? Oh, you have to have flour. You have to, and then I, so I thought about it. Wow. That was a little hard steps. to, right? A lot of <laughs> steps to it. So he started to think about, hmm, how can I create this product in an easy and effective way based on my resources? Wow, and now I'm learning how to create a business that's going to be viable based on the resources that I have. How much investment can I put in? I'm the only shareholder. <laughs> right? I mean, I don't no investors here. Exactly. There's no go GoFundMe page. So how can I create this? So we thought about it and we decided, hey, how about popcorn? Popcorn is easy, right? So we started with, okay, how can you create the popcorn? All right, we can get the popcorn and then we can get one of those little poppers. I don't know, the old school ones. Mm -hmm. It was before everyone had microwaves. You put it in a little machine, pour it in there, right? And it pops on out. So that's what we did. So I had to learn how to manufacture, right? Production. 
So I had to take it, take the popcorn, pop the popcorn, put it in the bags, right? Now, every Friday, because I say, where's your marketplace going to be? Where's that going to be? Well, at the time, I was at a Muslim school that had a Muslim cultural center, and Muslims have what they call mosque on Fridays. So on Fridays, that's where, just like equivalent to church, their church day was on Friday. So every day after everyone would be let out, that's when I would sell my products. So I had my popcorn, have them in the bag, had them on display, and then I began to learn what it is to sell. So then we went from having just regular popcorn. Hmm, maybe some people have different kind of flavors, Fancy. right? What about different flavors? So we said, hmm, maybe we can have cheesy popcorn. So we went to cheesy popcorn, but again, production wise, right? How can I produce this at a faster, most efficient rate? Cause we're talking about how much I'm putting in versus how much I'm selling it for, right? I was selling them for a quarter a bag, but then it's costing me time just to pop, pop the popcorn, <laughs> right? And then bag it up and then being able to present it. So they said, hmm. How about we find a manufacturer who already has the popcorn pre-popped? So boom, we had to go find, I had to go through the yellow pages. Hey, remember the yellow pages? <laughs> it was the early day, <laughs> the early day Google, right? So we went there, found our yellow pages. Uh, yeah, way before Google, the manual Google, called the, the person up. They said, hey, we different had different types. Then I had to go down there. I went there with my parents and we went to the manufacturing place and I had these big, huge bags, these massive bags of popcorn. But not only got the regular popcorn, we got the cheesy popcorn and we got the caramel popcorn, right? So we had now had different flavors to appeal to a larger market share, right? So now I'm selling it there. Now I've got these different flavors. I'm making a quarter of a bag. I'm learning how to sales. I'm learning credits. I'm learning debits. I'm learning expenses, right? I'm learning profit margins, right? I'm the only one out there because my partner, he just ditched the whole thing. <laughs> I was like, man, I'm getting paid. At the end of the day, I had like $15 and less than an hour. $15 was big time back in the day. You know how much candy I can get from the corner store? Come on now. Now look at all the things that I learned in one time. I immersed myself in it kinesthetically, every single sense was brought in. My brain was in a place on fire, right? I smelled the popcorn. I touched the popcorn. I had to wrap it in bags. I'm interacting with people. I'm using every sense that you can possibly have imprinted on my mind and gave me something positive to remind me of what the process is in a capitalist society, how to be an entrepreneur, how to take a product to market, how to sell it successfully and increase your profit margin and revenue. And I'm in fifth grade at the time. Now, look at all the things that were learned in that one element by my teacher using the understanding, maybe not even knowing it, but using experience to teach me a very valuable lesson. Absolutely. And I mean, that's that's really that is an amazingly submersive example. And even if you're in a school or in a system or a public school where you can't utilize or leverage resources in the same way and have projects on that large of a scale, things as subtle as, you know, you're needing something calm to be conveyed and you flip the lights off mm -hmm. and you set the environment from a visual and energetic standpoint into right. that calmer space that changes the experience of that information. You change the seating arrangements instead of standing at the front of the classroom, lecturing at the kids, you take a seat. You all are sitting without tables between you, without barriers. All of those little things change the sight, the experience, the touch, you know, don't get yourself in any kind of PR <laughs> issue, right, right. HR issue, all no not HR. all of that. No. But, you know, when 
you're talking directly to a student, if there's a touch on the, the shoulder or a touch on the arm to get their attention and then making eye contact with them so they know you are present and there with them, all of those little ways of providing experience really make a huge difference in the receptivity of the person on the other end of the communication. Mm -hmm. And we realize, I mean, a lot of teachers today, especially in the public school systems, and then depending on um, what area of the country you're in, um, whether you're in suburban or, or urban environments where resources are limited. We know a lot of teachers have been spending their own money out of their own pocket for resources in the classroom. So we understand resources can often be very limited, but that's when your imagination, your creativity can come in to play. Right. That's when you can take things like simply changing the chair and seating arrangement by turning off the lights, by asking different things of the brain and nervous system, using the sensory components to change the experience of the learning. And those little subtle changes can create that much more change. Um, those of those of you who may be in the fitness and exercise, I was a peak performance trainer for many years, still have clients to this day. And the biggest thing is small changes. Right adaptability, right? You may hit a plateau in your workout. You're not, you know, you're having the same kind of gains or maybe you're trying to lose weight, right? You're trying to lose weight and can't get the scale to move. And as soon as you make a slight change to your workout, right? Maybe you have a different incline on your treadmill. Maybe you have a different level of weight with your dumbbells, right? Maybe you take a different class. So instead of uh, Pilates, maybe you're doing some yoga. Those small little changes in movement and experience is going to create that much more of a sensorily adaptive experience that's going to change the level of absorption of that experience to make that much more of an influence and change. Because on the flip side of all of this, the very same concepts that we're talking about, you don't want to send danger messages to little changes. When they are decimal changes, right. it does send a little alert to that same system going, oh, pay attention. This is, this is a little different, but as long as it's not this grandiose, unexpected, unfamiliar piece, it doesn't trigger the danger switch. It just triggers the be alert switch. And now you have somebody who's, instead of being back here, a kid who's actually leaning in like, oh, this is, I'm listening now kind of thing. And you'll start to see how just those changes in your body posture, changes to the environment of a classroom will change the whole posturing of your students that let you know whether you're on the right track with that experiential receptivity of those moments, because it's really, it's, it can seem so subtle and like such little things, but it really does make a huge difference because this brain of every human that walks this earth wants the easiest path. It yeah. wants the path of least resistance. Again, survival, not excel in performance. It wants to drop back into that autopilot mode. Right. So we want to provide this framework that is expected and positive and we have those targets and we know what's coming. So nothing is being sensed as danger and we're connecting on all of the levels, cognitive, emotional, experiential, but we also want to stay tuned in. So little subtle decimal changes, little just flip the lights off, flip the lights on, mm -hmm. sit different today. Hey guys, today let's move over here. I want some fresh air. Open the window. If you have a window that opens and gather over there and have air that's different, smell the grass that's being cut outside. All of those things, they may not directly apply to the information you're teaching, but they're enough to turn that nervous system on. And once it's on, it's on to whatever you're delivering to it, whatever input you're giving it. So don't overthink this. Don't make think, okay, well now yeah. I got to come up with this yeah, life changing project Popcorn for everything <laughs> that has to happen. It can right. be really 
seemingly subtle pieces that get that nervous system to jump on board with right. your goal. Yes, absolutely. And hey, technology has a great opportunity to be able to give you different ideas and things like that. So just shifting that, okay, this is the idea for today and then make it experiential and interactive between the students. Again, just those little shifts right there. And hey, I can take my desk and now instead of just all the desks pointing ahead, it can be all the desks. How about change it just for the day? And you guys look at each other, student to student. Wow. Just changing the direction. Now I'm looking eye to eye with another student can change what that experience is. So there's so many components um, we've talked about already setting that expectation, setting that target, make sure the brain is safe, right? It's predictable. You know what's going to happen. The environment is safe. So now it can take in more information, right? Secondly, we talked about the experiential component. That experience is very important because that mixes in all those different sensory elements, right? And we also talked about the emotional component that mixes those two. And now talking about this third step is the identity. So when you're talking about positive expectation framing, one of the most powerful elements is that principle-based identity. See, when my teacher, Idris, when he said, I want you to be able to think for yourself. I want you to be reasoning and discerning what comes into your mind. I'm like, wow, I want to be able to think for myself. I like that idea, being an independent thinker. Yes, that is something that I want. When he said, I want you to be able to take care of yourself and be self-sufficient. I want you to be an entrepreneur of the mind and understand how business works. I said, wow, I like that idea. I like the idea of being self-sufficient and being able to take care of myself and understanding how business and economy and being a capitalist in a capitalistic environment and what that means to be able to take care of myself and my future family. I like that. I enjoy that. See, what that blends in in a most powerful way is something that they can become. See, we're human beings are becoming something. We start off as a little dot, <laughs> you know, a little dot in mommy's tummy. And then one day we have the opportunity to be able to change the world. We can become the Martin Luther Kings and the Steve Jobs of the world. We can be, become all of these people. Because it starts with just the idea that I can be. And when you set the information and the lesson plan and the structure of it and the curriculum and align it to an identity that they can look forward to becoming and desire, then that lean in happens because now they're personally invested. So when it talks about or when, you, when you're talking to your students about why it's important, the why and the utility, when you attach to it an identity that is desired by those students with a skill set attached to it that's going to align with their future and who they see themselves to be, what you're doing is breaking through those beliefs, breaking through those limited perspectives that they may be having about themselves, their own identity. This is that critical age for them. As adolescents, they're trying to figure it all out. They don't know. And it's your job to give them the opportunity to know what you can be, what you can become. So when you attach an identity, how powerful is that? How extraordinary that can be for that student to have that teacher care that much about them to say, you know what I see in you? What I see the potential of you being? You know what that's going to do for them? It's going to change their world forever. Absolutely. I, we talk a lot about this in terms of we are hardwired to pick up the negative 
-hmm. more than we are the positive. Again, take it back. Lowest common denominator is survival, safety. The dangers matter more than the high points, right? So our attention is automatically drawn towards all of those negative things that we see, that we hear, that we perceive that maybe don't even really exist, but that's our perception based on our experiences in the past. Now we have these negative things. So you take kids from all backgrounds, put them in your classroom. They're going to be picking up the negative things. Oh, the tone of voice that they use, or that kid said this, or see, they got their project done already and I'm still over here and I don't even know what to put on. Like would they're going to be swimming in negative emotion. They're going to be in that place of questioning everything about themselves. I mean, identity is a huge, I still know people in their thirties who mm-hmm. are trying to figure out their identity because they were left floating through these adolescent years. Um, or it was so defined externally and never given that anchoring to right. a principle, a character that they valued themselves, that the moment circumstances change, that identity rug is ripped out from underneath them. And then they go back to what end is up. And I don't even know what's important, what it, uh, I'm stuck and I'm frozen in life now. Um, so when you as a teacher have that opportunity to really provide moments and glimpses for them at what can be of who they can be, what they can choose to anchor and value that is circumstances irrelevant, that this is just a character and a principle that you can choose to hold, regardless of what happens around you, you can have this through line. This we always talk about as true North, right? Like those gyroscope compass kind of things that no matter where life turns you, North is always going to be North. And when they have that anchoring, even with all the constant negative crap that's going to be perceived and picked up, they always have that grounding to come back to, which is a really, really powerful thing in a world where there's so much chaos and there's so much unpredictability. Mm -hmm. Having that, someone who can reinforce and instill those character-driven principles that one anchors their identity into, then it, it really sets them up, not just for success in the classroom or in that school year, but success in life with its inevitable rocky points mm-hmm. <laughs> that are going to come in the future. So you're doing a lot more for a child by setting that kind of piece up. And we've talked a lot about in all of this, the idea that an expectation is really nothing more than a goal, mm-hmm. right? I mean, if we're really going to simplify it, we say, this is the expectation. You're saying, this is the goal marker that we have. And you really can't set those for somebody else. Right. Like, <laughs> if we, in our marriage, if I'm like, hey, babes, guess what? This is what you're going to do. Right. <laughs> How well is that going to be received? Right. Not, 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 not the greatest. Right. And then what are the chances that there's actually follow through on it? Right. Because then it's kind of, kind of more of a, a, of a command of what's going to be. Then it just becomes transactional and instructional as, as opposed to empowering, right. And showing them the future potential of who they can be if they choose to open their minds to it, because that's what school is. It's a fertile ground for them to see the potential opportunity for something better and greater, right? You're not asking them to be Steve Jobs tomorrow. You're not asking them to be Oprah Winfrey tomorrow because they even look and say, man, I can't be that. Yeah, but you can have some of the characteristics right? That can lead to that kind of opportunity to become them. Because once upon a time, they were sitting in the classroom, just like you. They were staring at a teacher, just like they are at that moment. 
and they have the opportunity to go, hmm, I can attach myself to the identifying elements and components of their character and the principles that they lived by. I can do that. And with those building blocks, it gives me the potential to, again, peek into my future and see something different that I may be presently not experiencing, but knowing it's possible. Absolutely. Because I think when you tap in at that level, the characteristics transcend career path. They transcend, you know, success levels or however you want to define that. You know, if you have a student sitting in your classroom who truly is like, I have never wanted anything more than to be a parent, but I come from a really broken home and I'm really questioning whether or not I can be a good parent. So now I'm questioning whether or not when I reach adulthood, like, do I even want to have kids? You know what I mean? But when you attach those character driven pieces, then they can see that regardless of circumstances and environment and home life I came out of, I can choose the path forward that is a valuable, is important to me that allows me to pursue those things that my heart really does desire that, that are true to me. And that that's a super, super powerful thing, but you can't, put that on somebody else. You can't set those goals for somebody else. They have to see it for themselves. And that's where you can set expectations by writing it on the whiteboard. This is what we're doing this week. I mean, that's nothing more than the syllabus, right? The syllabus sets a certain level of expectation, but we're talking about going a layer beyond with this positive expectation framework is not just here are the words and the goals, but here's the marker. We got your target. We're safe. We're providing that environment of experience tapping into all the senses and all the ways, all the power of that nervous system, and then showing you, pulling back curtains, pulling down walls of mm-hmm. perceived incompetence right. <laughs> um, and showing them that I believe in you. Right. Well, let's get there together. This is where we're going. I believe we can get there. What's the limiting beliefs, if you will, what's in the way. And then let's navigate those obstacles and let's get there together is a much more powerful place to teach from. And you're going to get a lot more of that lean in, a lot more of that buy-in because they start to believe that it's actually possible. And then the moment you start pointing out, look, this was a success. Look, this was a win. Look, we're on our way to our marker. We've achieved this. We've achieved that with that kind of end of the day, end of the week recap. Now you're getting the full neurological loop of a reward mechanism. And that's how you build a habit. Give it a target experience your way to that target and then look back and go, Ooh, we did it. And then reward mechanisms trigger. You get your little dopamine hit and you go, Ooh, I want to do that again. And when you provide that scaffolding through this framework for your students, they're going to start to take ownership of that very process themselves. It's going to become an innate process. Cause that's what we talk about a lot of times is this stuff, what we're talking about here in through this podcast and in our Neuro Wellness by Design for Educators program, it's not unique to the classroom in that this is the only place it works or it applies. This is any place in life where you need to connect and you need to interact and you need to have information sharing and an actual experience and exchange of information at home with your kids, with your spouse, anywhere where there's a relationship, these principles apply. So when you can instill this stuff in your students, they now have life skills to walk out of your doors and be successful in other parts of your life. And when you get used to communicating in the same framework yourself in the classroom, it doesn't stop. You don't turn that switch off 
at the end of the day and go, oh, now I'm back to barking commands at my kids. Like it'll become habitual for you. And that'll translate to your relationship with your kids, with your spouse, with your friends. And the improvements, when you make this investment in shifting your perspective and how you approach teaching, it'll shift your relationships and transform your experience of life and the quality of your relationships. Absolutely. You know, when we were talking about, she said something really important there, transformation. That's what you as teachers are doing. You're building the potential for transformation in each and every one of those kids sitting in your classroom. They're that little one that became a chrysalis, right? <laughs> little caterpillar chrysalis. And you're seeing the butterfly on the other side flying and soaring, right? And I know that's aspirational, but hey, kids need hope today. They need aspirational. They need something to look forward to. They need something exciting that's going to get them motivated and inspired because the world today is very challenging. Mm -hmm. The world today isn't exactly as bright and hopeful and cheerful as we'd love it to be, right? So the reality is unless you are planting the seeds and giving them the ability to hope and giving them a target that they can see is actionable and attainable and giving them behind that the inspiration to know that they can do it. It is possible for them to transform their lives. That's when you have unlocked the key. And this is a very powerful way to do that. Using this positive re expectation framework allows you to be able to impart to your students each and every day an opportunity for them to see themselves differently, taking information not only as just a transaction, but a transformational point for them to be able to utilize that and become better human beings. You know, one of my favorite uh, movies of all time. I love it. I love the, the actor, Robin Williams, but one of his most popular films was the film Dead Poet Society. And he played a teacher called Mr. Keating. He was this rebel literature teacher who came into this private school setting. I'm sure probably many of you have seen it or at least heard about it. And he began to transform how they thought about themselves. And I want to read to you this one moment. There's this one scene in the, the, the movie where he goes outside. He's in the, the hallway of this great, you know, amazing private school. And he's having them look at the teachers. I mean, looking at the students. Um, of, of prior prior years and, and looking at the pictures of them. And as he did that, this is what he said. And they're looking closely at all these pictures. He said, they're not that different from you, are they? Same haircuts, full of hormones, just like you. Invincible, just like you. The world is their oyster. They believe they're destined for greatness, just like you. Their eyes are full of hope, just like you. Did they wait until it was too late to make their lives as amazing as possible? Did they see their own capability? Because you see, gentlemen, these boys are now fertilizing daffodils. <laughs> but if you listen real close, you will hear your own legacy. Listen in really closely. Can you hear it? Carpe diem. Seize the day. Now, that was an amazing moment in the film because he implored them. He set the groundwork. He set the potential of fertile soil for them to see the potential of them being and living extraordinary lives. And all of us want that for ourselves, no matter where you're at, no matter what socioeconomic background that you have, no matter what gender you are, 
no matter what race you are, we're all human beings striving to become better human beings, to live lives in an extraordinary way. And if you as teachers can take an amazing skill like this, take this tool and then utilize it and implement it in your classroom, showing them, hey, here's the target. Here's the framing. This is a safe environment, not only to, to, for you to learn, but a safe environment for you to become something even more. Give them the opportunity to experientially have something different and new in their environment that they can absorb the information in a different and a unique way. And then lastly, for them to see the identity, the character, the principles attached to it, to let them know that there is a future beyond this moment that can put in them the potential for being a life changer themselves. When you're able to use this framework in that way, this positive expectation framework, it's going to change not only the life of that student, but it's going to change your life too as an educator. Because again, just like I said, just like that teacher had written a beautiful poem saying, and I'm going to repeat it probably every time, my career may be teaching, but my profession is humanity. And this is your opportunity to bring the humane back into humanity. This is your opportunity to show from the inside out who you are in that transference of love and passion as a teacher to be able to transfer that love and passion for what you know and what you learn and imbue that learning to them that they can go and make change in the world themselves. Absolutely. And I think the other piece to take away with you today, begin to allow yourself to ruminate on because I know most teachers we talk to are more concerned with their kids in the classroom and that performance that they are able to deliver the quality of job that they're able to do supersedes their own well-being most of the time. And I implore you today to begin to consider the fact that these very things that we're talking about for you to put you to use in the classroom can have real utility for yourself in your own personal life and your experience of life with all of the expectations that have been placed on you in this profession. And I do mean expectations as in goals that are outside of yourself that you don't have any personal identity or find value in from the education system and testing and just everything that's being dumped um, on you guys that is a systemic problem being handed to you to solve. All of that really does weigh on your own ability to see hope and see future and see the possibilities of success and greatness in yourself and in your students. But if you adopt these on, you take this perspective shift on, all of that burnout and overwhelm that you're dealing with can really be shifted and reframed. And you'll see a whole energy shift in yourself and how you can approach the career of teaching and rekindle that very passion that you started with when you were a bright-eyed, bushy-tailed 20-something coming out of college and ready to hit the classroom for the first time, thought the world was your oyster. You really can get back there for yourself, inspiring that passion and that vision for the future for your students and actually living that out. The dreams that you had when you came into the field, there's no reason that those things have to be squashed and extinguished just because of the current state of expectation and demand and workload and outside of contract hours time and all of the things that are being asked of you with the proper reframing, understanding your own brain and nervous system in this, you're no different. You're not wired any differently than your students. 
understanding yourself in this, applying these things to how you move through your day to day in the classroom and out can really transform your own experience of life and give you a renewed sense of energy and focus and passion to create that real impact that you always dreamed you would have. Yes, indeed. You know, we're very grateful to be able to take this time and share with you in whatever ways we can give you some insights, some some strategies, some approaches, some ways to look at what you do as a living, as more than just a teacher in a classroom, because what you do is going to impact generations to come and how you take that, like my wife was saying, and, and implement that those elements in your own personal life, because you could be a veteran teacher, but you also be a brand new teacher. And already disillusioned with the challenges that you're facing and the expectations that are on your plate that you're having to take on instantly in the moment. And they're going to be unrelenting. And we want to give both the veteran and the new recruit, <laughs> the, the new one that, that, that's on that's trying to fire on all cylinders and still trying to find their way, an opportunity to know, hey, on both sides of the street, you can still conquer. You can still learn more. You can still be in that place of discovery. You know, my father, he has been an educator his whole life. He's in his seventies now and is now a part of a program for kids. He was a professor. He was a vice principal. He was a principal. He was a teacher on many different levels from elementary K through eight, all the way into high school level. And obviously at the collegiate level. And he always told me, he said, Kareem, you have to be, and even as teachers, in a constant state of discovery and a sense of curiosity. And this is your opportunity to take on some small little bits, decimal changes of information, and then take it and make it actionable and apply it not only to your students, but to yourself. And that's where we'll cut off today. We've got two more letters of this Terra Principle to two dive more into. Two more parts to round out the full, how do you harness that brain and nervous system and direct it in the most powerful way? So... Anybody that you think would benefit from this, share the podcast as you're listening and somebody comes to mind, copy that link, send it over, share it um, and jump in on any of our social platforms at neuro underscore renegade on Instagram or Facebook and drop us questions. If you have specific, you've heard this and you go, ah, I don't think that applies to this. I've got this one problem that I don't think you guys are understanding. Drop it in there. Send us a DM and give us what it is and we can literally talk through actually applying these principles to the scenario that you have in front of you. We would be glad to be able to do that. So drop us a line, follow us, and we will speak directly to those things that matter most to you. Absolutely. So until next time, thank you for your time. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for understanding and the willingness to have that mindset of curiosity and discovery and knowing that there is hope out there. And you are the gift. You are that hope for your students and for all of us who benefit from you being that amazing teacher. 